give in that Buddhist practice is often presented as a path, it can be nice to think of our practice as being on a journey. And as a journey, it's a journey that we have to repeat over and over again. Being on retreat is a journey but there are many pieces, parts of that journey that get repeated. And you don't get to choose where you are in the journey. Sometimes you've been practicing for a long time and you find yourself at the beginning. Sometimes it's your first retreat, first beginning of practice, and you find yourself at the end. Or all kinds of spaces along in between. So there's a important point that we're often repeating the same thing over and over again. And that's part of the learning or deepening or maturing is to repeat and get more familiar and more familiar and understand ourselves better and work through some of the some of the important areas that we have to develop in and mature in and grow in and see. But it's a journey and it's a special journey in many ways. And one way that it's special is that each step is pretty wonderful. That just to be able to walk the journey one step at a time one breath at a time. It's almost enough. Many times where people are focusing on what they're getting away from on the journey or what they're going towards. But it's helpful to, in a sense, take refuge or take nourishment from or be protected by the simplicity of just taking the next step next moment of mindfulness, the next moment of showing up for this. And in some ways it matters less what you're experiencing on the journey as that you continue to journey. In this regard, perhaps the Buddhist bumper sticker is, I stop for nothing. You allow the mind, you allow the mind, the awareness, your attention, to be present for the next moment without a lot of retrospective thinking and reflection what just happened. You're present for the next step without a lot of, lot of, without any particular anticipation of what might come. There's something I I like, I try to convey 
is um, how very meaningful and special it is, each moment of mindfulness. <clears throat> and there's something about the art of attention, awareness, a moment of awareness, that's enough in itself. There's some kind of profound value or even a kind of freedom to be found in the awareness, in the moment of attention, independent of what we're trying to accomplish or what's actually happening. Whether it's difficult or whether it's wonderful, we don't stop in a sense for that. We just take the next step, show up for the next thing, next moment. And in doing that, we sometimes find ourselves repeating some of the same things over and over again. And that's not a mistake. A lot of the wisdom and a lot of the freedom comes from familiarity and repetition and going over and over again. So, one day on retreat, <coughs> it might be pretty calm and centered, and the next day it feels like you're just a beginner. Mind hardly, hardly, mind out of control. Is that a mistake? Is it wrong? It's just that, you know, that's the next step of the journey. It's the repetition that needs to happen. It's all okay. So in this journey that, from the perspective of the 16 steps of Anapanasati, the third tetrad, steps nine to 12, have to do with the mind. And the word, the word that's used is citta, and it's not uncommon for people to say that this Pali word citta could just as well be translated as heart as it can be translated as mind. And perhaps in English, some of the, maybe it's a particular bias or perspective or orientation of some of the English speaking translators to want to translate it as mind. You get a different feeling if it's heart. the heart of the matter, the heart of who we are. And if we allow ourselves maybe to see them as being separate, heart and mind, which perhaps in the English-speaking world is all too true for some people, these two parts of us are separated. And so that part of what practice does is to unify these two, bring them together again, so that our hearts and minds operate as one, connected, so we're not, you know, preoccupied with our thoughts and what goes on in the head, and we're not lost in what goes on in the heart, but we're present for both, in a balanced way, or <clears throat> as one whole. So in the first, you know, this ninth step is experiencing the mind, getting to know the mind, getting to know the heart. And there's many things to get to know about the heart, the mind. One of them 
is that there are things which satisfy the mind, things which help the mind, the heart feel a rightness. Things are right here or feel Maybe it's enough of those things, kind of <clears throat> deep satisfaction. The word that uh, is translated as pamoja, uh, as gladness, um, the usual translation is of a word, the word pamoja. But in the the tenth step, the gladdening the mind, the word is api pamoja. Api means something like higher. It's the higher gladdening. So what is that? Or sometimes the word abhi is used higher for the higher states of mind, or the deeper states of consciousness, or the deeper <coughs> fullness, integration, freedom of the heart. So what is it that brings some deep, higher satisfaction to our deep heart, to our, the kind of more closer to the essence of what makes us operate? And one of the things is honesty, is truthfulness. Sometimes I like to think of honesty as a synonym for mindfulness. In a certain kind of way, honesty is maybe mindfulness out loud. That mindfulness is to be, be present and see what's actually happening here and what's true to be honest. And I think honesty, to really see and recognize and admit and see what's really happening here, to, to be honest about it, there's something about that which feeds the heart or satisfies the higher satisfaction, higher gladdening of the heart. It nourishes it. It feeds it. It supports it to open. It gives it a certain kind of strength. And so we sit here and practice, and clearly it's a practice of being honest with what ourselves, with what's happening. And it's easy enough not to do that, not to be honest, to be distracted, to be deluded, to make up stories. that deflect us from really seeing what's here. Another thing that brings this higher satisfaction to the heart is not to be fighting anything, not to be in conflict. There certainly can be conflict in life with people and around us and with the world around us and difficulties and challenges. But there's a, a way in which the heart does not need to be in conflict with anything. We don't have to sacrifice or compromise this kind of deeper essence of who we are, our deeper awareness, our deeper heartfulness, our deeper something 
by having it also become part of conflict and resistance and running away and attacking. We don't have to live divided. Dividing, dividing up the different parts of ourselves, the acceptable parts and the unacceptable parts, parts we think are right, parts that are wrong, the parts that we think are wrong or unacceptable. So this, the deeper satisfaction and higher satisfaction of the mind is this movement towards wholeness, unification, that comes from not being in conflict with things. And it's interesting, this term, not in conflict. If you look at some of the discussions about the mind, activities of the mind at the Buddha's teachings, he talks about uh, knowing a mind, knowing a mind that's characterized by greed, and knowing a mind that's um, characterized by non-greed, a mind of hate and mind of non-hate, mind of delusion and non-delusion. Elsewhere, when talking about a right intention, the Buddha talked about the wrong intention is to is um, ill will, aversion, hostility, and that right intention is non-hostility. That uh, right intention, wrong intention is cruelty or wanting to harm, and that right intention is non-harming. Sometimes in English people say, translated as compassion, but the word is non-harming. And what you see that many of these words, they're specific naming something that's afflictive, that's painful for the mind. It's part of the division, dividing up the mind. It's part of creating di divisiveness. But when it talks about the other side, it doesn't na say what it is. It just says what it isn't. Non-greed, non-hate, non-delusion, non-hostility, non-harming. We want so much to have something. We want so much to have some place to be, or the right way to be, the right thing, the right state. As the mind, the mind itself, what makes it sing, what makes it kind of shine, or the deeper satisfaction of the mind, it, it doesn't need to be anything. It, it, except the absence of conflict, the absence of division, the absence of fear, Fear, which keeps it divided, which keeps us maybe divided and separated from ourselves. The absence of aversion that maybe keeps us separated from ourselves. 
the absence of greed, which also creates a distinction and separation. But the deeper satisfaction of the mind, what is that? Of the heart. Maybe, I don't know, I don't have the best answer for that perhaps, but I think the heart the mind, the deeper mind, to have it not in conflict, to have it not troubled, to have it be able to operate, to be peacefully, to have it just kind of just to just be without needing to be anything. like occasionally we have the experience of breathing and it's like the breath breathes itself. We don't have to, do, breathing doesn't have to be anything. As soon as we try to have the breathing be something, then we start controlling it and doing something with it. But just leave, let, the, let, the let the body breathe itself. And there can be kind of sense of ease and freedom there. Where it's better not to say what it is. So the mind, <clears throat> who we are, our state. Another way of maybe understanding this is as, as the mind, as awareness becomes more at ease and more centered and more here, present for experience, the mind, the heart, becomes the host for whatever's happening. It becomes the host for our experience. And I love this idea of the host. The host is, you know, has goodwill, it's going to support, is generous to the guest. And the mind becomes a host. The mind has space, the heart has space for all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the rest. To be a host. So if you have anger, the idea is that the, the mind becomes the host for the anger and it holds it. Instead of the anger being the host for your mind. But that's not going to be pretty. In other words, don't let the anger be the container that negotiates what's going on. Or there's greed. Let the mind be the host for the greed. It holds it and bees with it. Don't let greed be the host for the mind. Fear. Let the mind, awareness, be the host for fear. Don't have fear be the host for the mind, for the heart. So slowly in this journey of the path, the being truthful and honest, what's happening in such a way that the mind, the heart can be satisfied, nourished, or feel a rightness, 
yes, this is how it is, yes. I'm not struggling to admit this or resist this anymore. Yes, this is how it is. Even if it's a difficult thing to be truthful about, there's a rightness that's been set. But you know, this is this is what's happening. And then this movements of relaxation, relaxing the body, relaxing the mental formations. It is a movement towards relaxing the conflicts that we have, the struggles we have. So we have a, ch a chance to begin to experience the deeper mind, deeper heart, to unify it. And it's a marvelous thing to relax the mental constructs, thoughts, and in the process of doing that to start getting a glimmer or hints of what this higher mind might be like, or this deeper heart, unified heart might be like, how it, how it lives in us, that can be obscured by a lot of the thoughts and plans and memories and resentments and fears that we have. So at some point, uh, the 11th step in Anapanasati is to concentrate the mind. Breathing in, one concentrates the mind. Breathing out, one concentrates the heart. Breathing in, one centers the heart. Breathing out, one centers on the heart. Breathing in, one composes the mind. Breathing out, one composes the heart. Breathing in, one steadies awareness. Breathing out, one steadies awareness. Breathing in, one stabilizes attention. Breathing out, one stabilizes attention. Breathing in, one unifies the mind. Breathing out, one unifies the heart. Breathing in, what when it includes everything. in the host. Breathing out, one includes everything in the host. And 
And this concentrating the mind <coughs> has a lot to do with not drifting off in thoughts, not being caught by the hindrances, not being afraid and caught up in the fears. Not making anything but the mind the host. Not making having anything but the subtleness, the goodness, the tenderness of the heart. Be home base, the focus. Here. So with concentrating the mind, there's a stilling of the mind, a simplifying of the mind to just being here in this moment with our present moment experience, perhaps just with the breathing, settling in to just breathing in and breathing out. Perhaps involved with the breathing as a craftsperson might be absorbed in their craft. The Buddha described the metaphor, the analogy he used for being absorbed on the breathing was that of a craftsperson, actually, someone who works a lathe to carve wood. And the, you put the wood in, its, in the lathe and it turns, and then one puts the knife up against, gently up against the wood to carve the wood. There's just the right pressure, right, just the right strength of attention. And then it spins, moves round and around. And, you know, to be, have that to be really to be a lathe, you know, lathe, work the lathe, work the wood, needs to be a lot of focus, a lot of attention. You can't, your mind can't wander off and think about other things because you have to kind of keep just the right pressure and be very attentive to the quality, the nature of the wood, what's happening and how deep a cut you're making. And, and Yesterday I took my 14-year-old son to his ceramics class and he's doing this for years and now he works the the wheel, and the teacher said, boy, he's so concentrated. He's just there, just so concentrated when this turning these bowls. So working the lathe. So we have, you know, mindfulness, the awareness, you know, I talked the other time about 
sharpening the knife on the whetstone. So the awareness, the attention, the sharp mind, the concentrated mind, can, many ways of understanding it, but one aspect that just stays right there in the turning of the, of the breathing. And you have to stay, we stay in contact with a full cycle of breathing. And then things get simple, concentrated, steady. That's just this, just this experience. Doesn't have to be any more complicated than just breathing. It can feel so good how so many things fall away. And a lot of things that fall away are the extra. The extra thoughts and intentions and desires and fears that actually keep us divided, keep us at odds with ourselves. So part of the function of being so simple, concentrated, is to help with that unification. <coughs> but one of the purposes of concentrating the mind, to whatever degree we can, we do. Maybe I shouldn't use the word can, if, as if we have to do it. I think of concentration as, this unification as being a gift. Samadhi is a gift that happens sometimes that we are open to, but we can't make. But whatever degree of samadhi, unification, subtleness that we have, the calm, we start seeing the contrast of what it was like before when we weren't so concentrated. And we see, begin seeing and recognizing what we were caught up in. And as we get calmer, we also begin recognizing, it becomes clearer and clearer, some of the things that we remain caught up in. Some of the things we're still preoccupied with or attached to or resisting or... Because as the mind gets calmer, we can sometimes see more clearly, you know, what's, what's going on in there. And the, one of the advantages of that is that we can also, also get a sense of what's the liberation, the freedom that's on the other side of that. That it's not necessary to be caught in these things. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a required, part of the human system. So then the twelfth step of Anapanasati is breathing in. One liberates the mind. Breathing out, one liberates the mind. Breathing in, one frees the mind. Breathing out, one frees the mind. Here the idea is that as we move along and start feeling the ways we're still caught and caught up in things, that there's a movement towards an allowing of and opening up to freedom to liberate ourselves from these things.
So to begin feeling a settling of the mind, but see we're still caught in the hindrances. But as we settle, the hindrances become weaker or our mind becomes bigger. And at some point, we're no longer caught in it. We're, there's a release from them, letting go of them. And as we re release or let go of some of the ways we're caught, some preoccupations with thoughts, that helps the mind become more unified, more concentrated. And not everything that we get liberated from are attachments and clinging. We also get liberated from, we, as we move along, with things like that are supported us in practice as we might go along. We get liberated from um, joy and happiness. Luckily, we don't get liberated forever. But there is also letting go of these, these states, or they let go of themselves. And then as, as the concentration gets deeper and deeper, or fuller and fuller, more mature, we move into quality, quality of equanimity where the mind can be really a host for all things, but without being for or against it, without reacting, without needing to evaluate or make commentary about it, without liking and disliking, So there's a journey, a journey towards all along, and it's a repeated journey going over and over again as we learn and develop, letting go of or relaxing the constructs and moving along, liberating. And this journey involves a, a lear, a learning to step away from the, a lot of the concepts that we live by, a lot of the ideas, the notions. Not because the notions, ideas are wrong, but sometimes when we live in the world of ideas, it keeps us separate from the mind or the heart. It keeps us, keeps us from more divided. If I am eating an apple, and I spend the whole time chewing it, trying to figure out the chemical composition of the apple, I'll be far removed from the flavor and just taking it in simply without any concepts. Nothing wrong with figuring out the chemical composition of an apple, but you know, I hope sometimes when you eat the apple, you don't do that. You just kind of are there for the kind of almost a non-conceptual experience of just the flavor, the taste, the texture, the moisture. 
And so we're relaxing the mental constructs are also relaxing our concepts and ideas and moving towards something simpler, the simple sense experiences of the moment, that the overlay of a lot of ideas. And one of the ideas that we're relaxing and then liberating from is the mental construct of me, myself, and mine. The selfing, the self-identification we have, the stories, concepts, judgments we have about who I am, how I am. And to some degree, you can feel, as you get more settled, that these ideas of self-identifications and judgments is just another way of that we separate from ourselves. We fragment ourselves. We're in opposition with parts of ourselves. It's a way of, it's almost equivalent to spending the whole time eating the apple and thinking about the chemical composition. If you spend the whole time <coughs> eating your meal here at IRC and thinking about how other people are judging you because you went and caught seconds. And they're probably watching and they're probably going to report me to Gil and Inez. And heaven forbid you, you go back for thirds. All the eyes are going to be on you. So to be involved in selfing, identification, self-preoccupation, you can actually feel how that takes you away from maybe the whole experience of eating the meal. So this idea of selfing, I, the conceit, is another concept. What's, what's really wonderful is that the mind, the awareness, can be the host of that. You can hold it and see it without seeing it as a problem. But the self-identification, the conceits that we have, it doesn't work so well for them to be the host, for them to be the thing, the container that holds all of our experiences. It's too easy for it to then suffocate everything else. So this last step of uh, the third tetrad, breathing in, liberating the mind, breathing out, liberating the mind, is involves releasing the mind from the hold of some of the concepts, ideas that keep us from experiencing directly <coughs> the flavor of the food, the texture of the food, the sensations of the teeth chewing, the throat swallowing. keeps us from experiencing the kaleidoscope, the ripple of sensations that happen in the body as we breathe. The kaleidoscope ripple of sensations as we exhale, inhale. Little movements of pressure and pushing and tightness and lifting and expanding and vibration and warmth stretching, 
release, pulling, settling, falling. There's so many things that happen in an in-breath in the body, in an out-breath in the body. Even the idea that this is an in-breath is too much. It can keep us separate from the direct experience of what it's like to breathe. So we don't see the world through the concepts, we feel it, we experience it through the senses. So we liberate the mind from its concepts, we simplify to be able to experience things much more directly. And some of you might think, well, this is just to kind of feel the texture of the food against your tongue and the flavor. And I mean, this is pretty trite. And it's probably hedonistic. And, you know, there certainly is much more profound, immensely more profound things to think and do. As soon as I can leave IRC, I'm going to take a class in Greek philosophy to get some of the profundity of life. You know, something to get to And um, just pulling away from the simplicity, but it is profound, this simplicity, for a number of reasons. It's profound, the journey, the movement, to get there because of how much has to be let go of, how much has to be relaxed, how much has to be unified, how much truth and honesty we have to go through to just to really arrive here. It's not easy. And that journey is profound. And part of the confirmation that that journey is working is being able to be here in the most simple possible way, just this, without the concept of triteness, just this. But also as we get into this more concentrated, simpler states, we're getting a, beginning to get a taste better and better taste of what it's like to be free, for the heart and the mind to be free. And we get it, start getting a, a, maybe a sense of the heart's movement, the deep sense of how satisfaction of the heart, the, the movement of the heart or the desire of the heart to move towards greater freedom to find that freedom, to be that freedom. And so this very simple, radical simplicity of standing in the sun and feeling the warmth against our skin and feeling texture of our clothes against our skin and feeling the breeze against our cheek, seeing the colors of the flower It can be experiences and wonderful in and of itself, special. But it's also allowing us to experience the mind in simpler, cleaner, more open ways. 
it's helping us the, the mind show us that it wants to be free. The mind actually prefers to be free than to pick up the, con the thoughts, ideas, desires, intentions, which contracts it again, that obscures it again, that locks it in again. So this movement towards simplicity, liberating the mind from concepts, ideas, and hindrances, beginning to appreciate the simple step-by-step, moment-by-moment experience, learning to rest in it, to be at home in it, settled in it, learning to be focused and concentrated really present, sometimes so present, it's kind of like the tip of the, the lathe worker's knife, that just right there, right at the moment, the point of where the breath comes and goes, but in a relaxed, soft way. It's a wonderful step, it's a wonderful thing in and of itself, and it's a step along the journey. So the twelfth step of Anapanasati is breathing in, one liberates the mind. Breathing out, one liberates the mind. And for now, I'd, I would like to rephrase it for you. Breathing in, Allow for the possibility that the mind liberates itself. As you breathe out, allow for the possibility that the mind liberates itself. And while you do this, this allowing is closely related to being calm not getting pulled into ideas and thoughts. Being equanimous. With infinite equanimity. Continue each step of the path. With space in your, with space in the mind, that it would allow the mind to be free when it's ready. With space in the mind that allows it to let go when it's ready.